Arsenal take on Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park in the penultimate game of their Premier League season. We're going to be looking ahead to that one on this live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's penultimate Premier League game of the season, a trip to Selhurst Park. Not a very long trip, uh, just down to South London. Uh, Roy Hodgson, of course, will lead Crystal Palace out at Selhurst Park for the final time after it was announced that he will be leaving the club. So there's an added significance to it uh, from a Crystal Palace standpoint, as well as the fact that there will be fans in the ground, which obviously we've seen over the last couple of days has made a huge difference uh, in terms of the quality of football. I certainly think so. Anyway, let's say a big hello to everybody joining us already in the live chat. Hope you're all well uh, and a big hello to anybody who will be watching or listening to this back a little bit later on. Uh, I want to say a big welcome in particular to Daniel, uh, who's just signed up to become a YouTube member of the Chronicles of Aguna. Daniel, thank you so much, mate. Really, really appreciate the support. And if you're interested in our membership scheme, you can find the link in the description to join. If you join, you will get access, depending on which membership you choose, uh, to our members-only content. The last video dropped yesterday, part of our squad rebuild series, and uh, there is more to come in the next few days. All members get access to our Discord server, though. And for me, that's the biggest benefit of it all, because it's great being part of the community. Uh, that we've built. It's great being able to interact with you on a more uh, a sort of personal level. Um, right, let's uh, let's get into it. Let's um, let's start talking about this one because it is a game that obviously doesn't have a great deal of significance in terms of how Arsenal are going to end the season. Um, you know, you look at the Premier League table as it stands, and Arsenal uh, currently find themselves. Uh, sitting in 10th place. Obviously, we've got a game in hand over Leeds. Um, we're in 10th place. We're on 55 points. We could still mathematically finish above Tottenham. Uh, we could still mathematically finish above West Ham United, but I think it's incredibly unlikely we're going to need results to go our way, and I wouldn't really bank on it. Um, you know, so, yeah, I'm not overly confident about Arsenal improving their league position dramatically. And quite frankly, I've kind of come to the point now where I'm sitting here thinking, well, if we're not going to be in the Europa League, do I really want to be in the Europa Conference League? Do I really want Arsenal to have to go through that and and have the added commitment of competing in Europe's third tier competition? And it sounds a little bit snobby and it probably sounds a little bit rich when you think about where Arsenal currently find themselves. But if I'm completely honest and open about it, I feel like actually if we're not going to be in the Europa League, we're better off being out of Europe completely so that we do have 
the time on the training ground so that we can trim down this squad even further and go into the season with a smaller but more fit-for-purpose squad rather than have to having to overload in certain areas uh, to cope with the amount of games. You know, you've got the um, the Euros to come in the summer as well. A lot of our players aren't going to get the rest that they probably need after a long, laborious, uh, you know, Premier League season that's been like no other for a number of reasons outside of our control. But as I say, if we're not going to be in the Europa League, sounds a bit snobby, but that's probably the lowest I'd go. That's the lowest I'd go. If we're not going to be in the Europa League, I don't want to be in the Europa Conference. So, you know, if Arsenal end up finishing in a position that that sees us fail to qualify for even that, given the way everything's gone, given the fact that the campaign's over anyway, you're not going to catch me sitting here bitching and moaning about it, basically. Obviously, the impacts of not being in Europe completely, uh, you know, will be felt by the club, particularly from a financial standpoint. But I, I'm not really sure of the ins and outs of the Europa Conference League, how much revenue that stands to bring us. And I'd certainly argue that if we're not going to be in the Europa League, we could live without the Europa Conference revenue if it means that we have you know more time on the training ground, the ability, as I say, to trim down the squad, make it a little bit more fit for purpose without worrying about a potential overload of games. Uh, so that's where I stand on it. It's either Europa League or I don't want Europe at all. And and some people will agree with that. Some people would disagree. That's absolutely fine. Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Uh, Inter agrees with me on that. Uh, Gunavet all says uh, unpopular opinion, but I would take the Conference League. Send the youngsters and academy players to get them more games, etc. Could be good for development. Yeah, it could. Um, in that sense, that's a good point if you're going to send uh, those players. But I think for me, they'll get sufficient game time in the cup competitions if they're good enough, if they're at that level whereby the manager feels that they can be trusted in certain games. I think they'll get the time anyway. And I just think that we could benefit so, so much from having full weeks between football matches for being able to see our players recover because recovery has been a big problem for Arsenal this season. How many times has Mikel Arteta faced the media ahead of a game and spoken about the fact that XYZ have struggled to recover and we're not sure about them. And we've kind of gone into games with players half fit way too often. So, yeah, as I say, um, I'd rather be out of Europe altogether. And as Alex McCarthy points out in the chat, it would teach everyone associated with the club a vital lesson. Yeah, good point. Good point. Just want to quickly touch before we, we sort of delve deeper into Arsenal's trip to Selhurst Park tonight at the game. I just want to touch on the game uh, between Chelsea and Leicester in the Premier League last night. Of course, that was a huge one in terms of the race for top four, in terms of the race for, for Champions League qualification ahead of next season. I was commentating on the game and I, I don't know what you guys think. I want to know what you guys think. Do you, I mean, how much of a difference did the fans being in the ground make? It was unbelievably different. And it makes you realise that actually without fans, this game is not even half as good. Um, as it can be. You know, I was excited throughout the game. The game gave me plenty to sort of shout about as well. Uh, plenty of really good moments. But all of that intensity come from, yes, partly the fact that Chelsea desperately needed to win it, but also because they had fans in the stadium urging them on. That little scuffle that broke out at the end of the game uh, after Pereira's challenge, 
would that have happened without fans in the stadium? I'd argue no. Um, and it just takes everything up a completely new level. And I, I really um, sort of, I, I've always understood what a difference it makes to not have fans in the stadium and how bad it is in comparison to to watching football in packed grounds. But even eight or 10,000 people in a stadium in the Premier League can make a huge, huge difference, as we saw last night. So I just wanted to touch on that because I do think that, you know, we've almost gotten used to this COVID time football. Um, we've almost gotten used to this, you know, to this type of football where it is a little bit mundane. It is a bit passionless. It is a bit slower. It is a bit less intense off the back of fans not being allowed into the stadiums. And I think what you've seen over the last few days is a massive difference in in football in terms of its entertainment value over the last few days. So I wanted to make that point because I think it was, it was massive. And I think it helped Chelsea get over the line yesterday, but it also made it a much more bearable ske- uh, spectacle than it has been in uh, in recent months. Let's go back over uh, to the live chat. I'll pick up a couple of questions before. <coughs> Apologies. Sneezing on on live stream. That's terrible form. Um, but you can't pause live streams. That's the problem. But yeah, going back, going back to the chat box, I'll pick up a couple of your comments. Uh, Daniel, with a very kind super chat donation, says, Hi, Harry. I've asked a few times, why is Robbie from AFTV such a big boy? Love your knowledge and this channel. Smash the like button, guys. Daniel, you keep asking me this question, right? Every time you're on a stream, you ask me this question. Why is Robbie from AFTV such a big boy? I haven't got the faintest idea, first of all, what it is you're talking about. And secondly, why don't you ask Robbie? I don't know. Uh, I I barely know Robbie. I've done a couple of bits and pieces with him over the years. Um, Seems like a top guy. Seems like a really nice guy, but I I, I don't have a clue, first of all, in what context you're asking this question and second of all how to answer it uh, but thank you for your super chat donation mate but it's one that you should definitely ask robbie uh himself uh let's go back to the live uh chat box and this is again while we're on the subject of chelsea lester i'll pick up this one uh from joe who says how do you feel about brendan rogers now harry uh, I know you get that heat for it. How do I feel about Brendan Rodgers? I think Brendan Rodgers is a good football manager, which I've always said. What I think, though, when it comes to Brendan Rodgers is that his teams have a tendency to fall away at the end of seasons. And yes, they won the FA Cup final, but they've been in pretty much third position for their in, for the entire campaign. So if they do miss out on Champions League football, I think that would prove my point that says that Brendan Rodgers' side more often than not, struggle to get over the line uh, come the end of football seasons. It's not, you know, people take it, um, you know, as though I'm like sitting here saying Brendan Rodgers is the worst manager in the world, as if I've said that he's, you know, worse than Mikel Arteta or I've tried to make a comparison between the two or I'm using Brendan Rodgers as a defence mechanism when it comes to defending Mikel Arteta's management. No, that's absolutely not the case. I just think that Brendan Rodgers' sides and their tendency to fall away at the back end of seasons, which saw them miss out on the Champions League last season, by the way, having had an 11-point cushion at one stage. All I'm saying is that that tendency for Brendan Rodgers' sides to fall away when it really, really matters is what, in my opinion, makes him a good manager 
and not a great manager. That is just my view on it. And you're right. I do get loads of heat on it, um, especially over on the 90 Min channel, because for some reason, everybody seems to think that Brendan Rodgers is the Messiah. I, d- I, d- I don't know what it is. It feels like in 2021, you get managers that are trendy. You get managers that people want to praise and want to believe in. And actually, at times, they can overlook, you know, important things. And I think the fact that Brendan Rodgers' side do constantly struggle to get over the line when it really, really matters, particularly in the league, where, let's be honest, that's the best barometer of where you are as a team, where you are as a club, where you are as a manager. They always struggle. They always struggle. And, um, And that's not to have a go at Leicester, you know, regardless of of that, they are still punching above their weight and there's no, you know, there's no sort of getting away from that. And I'm not trying to get away from that. I'm just simply saying that his team struggle when it comes to rounding off Premier League campaigns. It happened at Liverpool and it's happened a couple of times now at Leicester City. Leicester should have been in the Champions League three or four weeks ago, but they're not. And it goes down to the wire and they still might qualify, but it's not in their hands anymore. So they'll be disappointed by that. And it's not to say that if they do fail to qualify for the Champions League, it will be a bad season. Finishing fifth for Leicester and picking up the FA Cup along the way is a brilliant season for Leicester. But it doesn't detract from the fact that when it comes to the Premier League, he struggles. um, He struggles to get his team over the line when faced with that final hurdle. That's my view on Rodgers. But let's get back uh, to tonight's game. Of course, Arsenal, as I say, travelling to Selhurst Park. They'll be playing in front of fans. Mikel Arteta talking about the importance of having fans in the stadium, even if there are no away fans in there tonight. But obviously, as I've already touched on, it is, um, you know, it is, it is a significant game for Crystal Palace, um, more so because of Roy Hodgson's departure than it is because of what it means for them in terms of the Premier League. Now, Roy Hodgson, I think, has done a really, really good job at Crystal Palace. He's stabilised them. Um, he's he's saved them from the drop on a number of occasions. You never really got that impression, despite the fact that they've got an ageing squad, um, despite the fact that they've got, I think, 13 players out of contract this summer, which obviously breeds uncertainty in and around the camp. But despite all of that, Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace sit in a comfortable 13th position and they are, you know, a good, what, 10, 14, 15 points away from the drop zone. Um, so it's a pretty good season for Crystal Palace. And I think, you know, Roy Hodgson is is one of those people that you can't help but love. Um, you can't help but admire for how long he's been in the game, for how consistent he's been in terms of his delivery, particularly uh, in some of the jobs that he's held. I think he's been really, really good. Um, as I said yesterday, I've had the pleasure of talking to Roy Hodgson, have interviewed him. I thought he was fantastic, really intelligent, um, really engaging. And so, um, yeah, wish him all the best. And I hope that the Palace fans do give him the send-off he deserves. I think they will. Uh, Palace are notorious for having a, a really good set of fans, really vocal set of fans. And I know it won't be at full capacity tonight, Selhurst Park, which feels like a bit of a shame given the occasion and the, the circumstances surrounding Hodgson. But um, more significant night for them than it is for us uh, because of that. I think that slightly tips the pendulum 
uh, in their favour when it comes to who has the most incentive, who will be the most up for it. And you've seen lots of Crystal Palace players actually over the last few days paying tribute to Roy Hodgson and what he's done for them personally. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that Crystal Palace will go out there and give their absolute all uh, for Roy Hodgson tonight. And I think it's going to be a difficult game. Uh, Darren Nichols says, all right, Harry, great channel, mate. Which players would you like to see come in uh, to make us challenge next season? I'm going to keep my lips sealed, Darren, because I'm putting together some videos uh, that are going to drop in the next few days uh, with regards to identifying transfer targets and people that I would like to see come in the club. Thank you for your question, though. Thank you for the support of the channel. I, I promise I will uh, reveal all of that in the next few days. I, I am working on some videos uh, in the background, so I don't want to give them away and spoil them um, now, but that, it will be coming. So um, so don't worry. On the way. Uh, what else have uh, we got here in the live chat? Another super chat uh, from Daniel. Daniel, thank you so much, mate. He says, Harry, I will try and let it go after this. But would you consider Robbie? He's going on about Robbie from AFTV again. Would you consider Robbie from AFTV a big boy? I'm talking about his physique. I had a nightmare last night about Robbie giving cuddles to Ty. Daniel, what is going on in that head of yours? Um, <laughs> is he a big guy in terms of physique? Yeah, he is a big guy. He's taller than me. That's yeah, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, he is a big guy. I hope that answers your question. I don't really know uh, what else to say on that, honestly. Um Let's uh, let's let's continue looking ahead to this game then. Uh, apologies for the distraction. I want to pick up your questions, as many of your questions, super chats as I possibly can. Um, but Daniel, mate, you, you've got a serious uh, obsession with Robbie that you really need to uh, you really need to address, man. Jeez. Uh, right. Let's go. Let's go into a little bit more detail ahead of this one tonight. And uh, Arsenal and Crystal Palace have met 23 times in the Premier League. Uh, Arsenal have won on 13 occasions. Crystal Palace with just three wins along the way, seven draws between the two. But if we look at the most recent meetings, and we'll start with that game that took place in January uh, of this year, Arsenal held to a nil-nil draw by Crystal Palace at the Emirates Stadium. And the, the fixture prior to that was an away trip to Crystal Palace in which Mikel Arteta was boss at the same time. Um, was boss at the time, and that was a 1-1 draw at Selhurst Park. So, yeah, uh, those are the last couple of meetings, as you'll see. Uh, before that, Crystal Palace have been a bit of a bogey team for us. If you look at that, we've only beaten them once. Have we even beaten them once? No, we haven't beaten them once in the last five Premier League encounters. A 0-0 draw uh, back in January, a 1-1 draw at Selhurst Park last season, Season before that, uh, we struggled. Uh, sorry, the 1-1 draw at the back end of last season. We drew 2-2 earlier on last season. And then the season before that, we were beaten 3-2 at the Emirates by Crystal Palace. And prior to that, we were held to a 2-2 draw at Selhurst Park. So it's been a bit up and... Well, it's not even been up, has it? It's been pretty much down and disappointing when it comes to Crystal Palace and our recent record against them. So... They are a bit of a bogey team. One of you pointed that out in the in the comments. I can't remember who it was. Let me see if I can quickly scroll back and find it. It was Alex who said Palace away tend to be one of our bogey teams and grounds. You're absolutely right. Um, it has been, uh, it, it really has been, um, you know, a, a team that we've struggled against and, and, and they've been a problematic opponent. There's no getting away from that. But let me uh, move on to the team that I want to st see starting at Selhurst Park this evening. And I just want to stress this. I always have to stress this. 
because sometimes after we do this, I get people tweeting me or DMing me or commenting below the videos telling me that you got the team completely wrong. If I want, if you want me to predict the team, I'll try and predict the team. But what I prefer to do is give you guys the team that I would like to see uh, selected. And that way we can have a little bit of a debate about it. Um, and, and that's what I'm going to do. So let's start with the goalkeeper. And I'm going to go with Matt Ryan in goal tonight. And I'm going to go with Matt Ryan because, you know, his lone stay at Arsenal is coming towards its end. Still has a year remaining on his Brighton contract. We're hoping that we can get some sort of cut price deal done that would see uh, Matt Ryan stay at the club uh, for another season, at least as a, a backup goalkeeper, as a number two. I think that's his level. And I think he's one of those players in the sweet spot. And what I mean by the sweet spot is somebody who is good enough to come in from time to time and provide cover, but equally isn't so great and isn't so demanding that he wants to play every week and he's going to kick up a fuss at not being the number one. Moving on to right back, I'm going to go with Callum Chambers tonight. Um, Bellerin is off. Um, there's no doubt about that. I know that Cedric... Um, you know, is 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 someone that comes into contention as well. But for me, you know, I think that we need to look a little bit more at Callum Chambers ahead of next season because if we're going to sell Hector Bellerin, I do think that we do need to bring in another right back. But I wonder, I just wonder if Mikel Arteta with Callum Chambers, if he can continue to perform to a pretty decent level and Cedric at the club might look at using those funds to prioritise a different area of the pitch or using it to top up uh, sort of a, uh, an amount that we can spend on a perhaps a more urgent position. I do think that we should be looking for a fullback, but I'm just trying to sort of read between the lines here. And I'm wondering if Mikel Arteta will look at the group and say, well, we've got two right backs in Chambers and Cedric. And especially, um, especially if we're not um, going to be in Europe next season, I think that might be okay. And it might be worth using that money elsewhere. I just I just wonder if that's going to be the case. At left back, I'm going with Kieran Tierney. Um, you know, he's our only left back, to put it quite bluntly. Uh, and I'm sure he'll want to build up fitness ahead of the European Championships, uh, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think Scotland are going to announce their squad for uh, a little bit later on today. In the uh, heart of defence, I'm going to go with Rob Holding. Mikel Arteta said that David Luiz is still unavailable. Holding's done relatively well in the right centre-back position. I've talked about the fact that I believe he's probably more effective when he plays on the right side of a back three, but I don't envisage Arsenal playing with a back three tonight at Crystal Palace. I think that we should be looking to persist with the back four system, the four, two, three, one. I think it's the way to go. I think it's nice to be able to shift into that back three for certain games when it feels fit for purpose, but this is not one of those games. Uh, and I'd be quite disappointed actually, if Arsenal went to Selhurst Park, um, sort of almost as negative and as, risk-averse as we were when we went to Stamford Bridge, which is a completely different kettle of fish. Alongside him, though, I'd play Gabriel. And I know I've said in the past, and I know a lot of people have said uh, that, you know, uh, that Rob Holding and, and Gabriel don't really complement one another and, and, and don't really marry up too well. But I think that needs to change. That needs to improve. Um, and, and Gabriel, for me, is when you look at our central defensive options, barring William Saliba, who's, of course, currently out on loan, you you do look at Gabriel as the mainstay, as the one that we have a hope of 
becoming a you know really good center half in the future and, and playing that role for many years to come more so than Pablo Maurice I think it's more important uh, that we get um that we get Gabriel um sort of used to and accustomed to and acclimatized to playing alongside Rob Holding as well as getting more Premier League experience under his belt which will only help uh, as he continues to develop in midfield if he's fit I'd like to see Granite Xhaka return it's been a while uh, since we saw him play there, um, there's doubts over his uh, availability tonight. And if he's not available, I'd pick Mohamed Elneny in there. Uh, but Granit Xhaka and Thomas Partey, for me, is the go-to pairing in Arsenal's midfield. And I'd like to see them restored. I think we've had a lot of time now to look at an Arsenal midfield without um, without Granit Xhaka. And I think it's it's been worrying. It's been problematic. And I think that, you know, it'll be nice now to see you know, the difference and the, the step up in level when he is back in the midfield. And maybe people will then appreciate what a difference he makes to this team. And actually, despite the fact that he has flaws, how important he is uh, to Arsenal's uh, setup as things stand, given the personnel that we currently have at our disposal. Moving further forward into the number 10 position, I want to see Martin Odegaard. It's coming closer and closer to decision time with regards to Martin Odegaard. Um, you know, is he somebody that Arsenal should be looking to to do a permanent deal for this summer? I know it's not entirely in our hands. Real Madrid will have a big say in that as well. Um, but I've gone from being really sure about Martin Odegaard to not being so sure uh, over the last month or two. I know there's been an injury in there as well, which has probably been a little bit unfair on the player. But in terms of the timing and in terms of how it's gone, I've been a little bit worried by him by his last few performances. So I want to have another look at Martin Odegaard. I think that's the sensible thing to do. On the left-hand side, I want to see Gabriel Martinelli play. You know, he hasn't had enough game time this season. There's been a number of reasons for that. I know a lot of people have sort of suggested that we could have, you know, gone on to, to qualify for the final had he been selected in the Europa League. I'm not really sure that's the case. Gabriel Martinelli in 21 or 22 appearances this season a lot of them, obviously, from the bench has only contributed a single goal. So I'm not going to sit here and kind of pretend that he's the saviour. He's a very talented young man who will go on, I think, to have a really good career. But he's not at such a high level right now that he has to play every single week, contrary to what many Arsenal fans believe and what many Arsenal fans will tell you. But I'd like to see him play tonight in a game that is, you know, seemingly dead rubber because the Europa League looks a million miles away for me. I know it's mathematically possible, but having said what I said with regards to the Europa Conference, I don't go into this game feeling any kind of like excitement or, or ambition or it's kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, if we get a good performance and we get a result, happy days. Uh, if we don't, am I going to sit and have a meltdown about it? Absolutely bloody not. On the right, I want to see Nicolas Pepe play. I think Nicolas Pepe deserves to be in the team. I think Nicolas Pepe deserves more opportunities. He's got a fantastic goal return this season. Um, all right, maybe fantastic is too strong a word, but he's got a very respectable goal return this season. It's far superior to the likes of Bukayo Saka, who seems to re receive praise uh, sort of far more than Nicolas Pepe does. The reality for me is that Bukayo Saka in recent weeks has looked burnt out. He's not looked anywhere near his best. He's been rushed back from certain injuries um, out of desperation. And his game in the final third has been a little bit 
uh, lacking of late. He's, he's given balls away when he, he should have picked out killer passes. I think he's struggled with... Um, we're finishing as well. And I think Nicolas Pepe is the form man. So why not play him? You know, if I keep talking about this, but if you want to breed a culture, a winning culture at the club, if you want to get people to buy into what it is you're doing and you want them to keep their performance levels very high, then you have to absolutely 100% have to reward them when they're playing well. And he has played well of late, Nicolas Pepe. He's played better uh, then Bukayo Saka and should be in the team uh, for me. Moving on to the centre forward position, I'll go with Alexander Lacazette. I think he links up with people better. I think overall he's been a better centre forward than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang this season. I know that won't sit well with Aubameyang. He's the Arsenal captain. He'll want to be in the side week in, week out. And we've seen him for a bit of a strop lately when he's been substituted, etc., etc. But for me, uh, Alexander Lacazette, on the balance of this season, warrants a place in the starting eleven, And I'd like to see Martinelli combining with him. I'd like to see Martinelli from one side and Pepe from the other combining with him, with Martin Odegaard's ability to pick out passes from a more central and slightly deeper role. So that's the team I'd pick for tonight. Again, it's not a prediction. It's the team I would pick uh, based on on the uh, the points I've just discussed. Let me run through it for you, uh, for those of you listening via the audio. One more time, Matt Ryan in goal, back four of Callum Chambers, Rob Holding, Gabriel and Kieran Tierney. In midfield, I want to see Xhaka, if fit, if not, Mohamed Elneny alongside Thomas Partey. Martin Odegaard in the number 10 role with Pepe from the right, Martinelli from the left and Alexander Lacazette through the middle. So, uh, yeah. That's, that's what I want to see. Let's get your questions in the live chat for the last 10 minutes or so. Let me know what you think while I wait for you to fill up the chat box with your brilliant uh, questions. Then uh, please do. Um, yeah, fill up the the, question, the chat box with your questions while I do that. Sorry, lost my trailer thought. Uh, just a quick reminder that this show is sponsored by manscaped.com. Uh, you'll receive a discount code or we're giving you a discount code, which is 19min20. And if you use that, you'll get 20% off as well as free shipping on your order. So for all your male grooming needs, especially with the summer uh, just around the corner, uh, you better head over to manscaped.com and get yourself sorted. Highly recommend the Lawnmower 3.0. Fantastic bit of equipment. And I promise you that if you do uh, treat yourself you will not be disappointed. Uh, so head over, as I say, use our discount code 19min20 and you'll receive free shipping as well as 20% off of your total order. And you stand to save yourself quite a bit of money. Keep those questions coming in. Let's check in where we're at on the likes. In the meantime, uh, let's have a quick look. Um, where are we? Where are we? We can see there's over 120 of you watching us at the moment, but we've only got... 27 likes guys let's get that up to 75 come on or surely we can hit 75 uh seems like a realistic target so make sure if you haven't done so already you do smash that like button it really really helps quick reminder as well that you can become a member by clicking on the link in the description and you'll get access to our members only series uh we dropped the video yesterday i'm doing a who should stay and who should go and i'm running through the various uh parts of the team started with the goalkeeper and defense yesterday uh told you guys who i would like to see go um, and who I would like to see stay. 
And then on the next round of videos, after we've done the midfield and the attack, we'll be talking about the players that I want to see coming in. So plenty of members content coming your way over the next couple of weeks or so. So if you want to sign up, check it out. Uh, please do. Right. Let's uh, let's go over to that chat box. Let's pick out uh, some of your questions. Ebby Vander says, Harry, how much do you think we'll spend this summer realistically? Um, I think that will depend, Ebby, on, on sales. Um, I really do. I think that Arsenal have the potential to raise a fair amount of money this summer if they if they do their business right. So I'd imagine that if we do raise, let's say, I don't know, I think we could raise just off the top of my head. And I've not really sat and thought about this. If you think about Bellerin, say we get 20 mil for Bellerin. If we get 10 for Genduzzi, maybe 10 for Torreira, um, you know, Maitland-Niles, there's Willock. I think Arsenal can probably raise something in the region of about 70 to 75 million pounds if we get the business done that we want. Maybe I'm being a little bit over ambitious, so let's bring it down a touch. Let's say we can raise about £60 million because you've got to take into consideration the current circumstances. If Arsenal raise £60 million, I think the club will be willing to spend around about the 50-60 mark on top of sales. So I think Arsenal could potentially spend, um, could potentially spend about, hundred million pounds this summer. I think they need to spend about hundred million pounds this summer, but of course that is dependent on bringing in uh, the kind of money that I've just been talking about. But I, I guess I feel like in my gut and, and based on what I've heard and it is not gospel. So please do not take it, you know, as a hundred percent the truth, but I do feel as though we could be looking at um, spending around about 50 to 55 million pounds on top of whatever it is that we raise. And I do think we will raise some uh, this summer. Uh, Shano says, why would you play that team and risk qualifying for the conference league? Are you saying that I'm saying that, that the team I've picked is too strong or are you saying that the team I've picked is too weak? Look, if we qualify for the U Europa conference league, I'm not going to be upset about it. Um, you know, and, and as somebody rightly pointed out in the comments earlier on, you can, send your youth players you can send your fringe players uh particularly in the group stages and get by that way um you know so i wouldn't be upset but you know i think we we owe it to our fans and we owe it uh, to everybody that gives up their time to watch arsenal football club to make a go of it tonight you know you don't want to just as, as bad as the season's been it will be nice to end it with some positive results because then that changes the mood you go into the summer with doesn't it i it does for me anyway uh, so I want to see Arsenal go out there, play this team and, and, and beat Crystal Palace and hopefully blow them off the park as an Arsenal fan. That's all I ever want to see. Uh, so, yeah, um, that's that's the team I'd go with. Uh, Sidan says, would you take Rodgers? Um, would I take Brendan Rodgers instead of Mikel Arteta? Uh, probably, probably, because Rodgers is a lot further down his managerial development path, if you like, then than Mikel Arteta is. But I still maintain that Brendan Rodgers is a good manager and not a world-class one. And um, I'm not saying Mikel Arteta is at that point, but you're asking me this because you want to try and catch me out on on sort of the criticism I've given to Brendan Rodgers for various elements of his game and various uh, characteristics of his teams. Of course, I think he's a better manager right now as it stands than Mikel Arteta. 
but I still don't think he's a top, top class manager. I think he's in that bracket just below. I think he's a good manager. Not really more than that. Xander says, what's your thoughts on Willian? Will he force himself out of the club in the summer as he has his heart set on Miami? Look, I think I'm not sure it would be forcing his way out of the club because I think there's an appetite from the club's side of things to let him go. And because of that, you know, if 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 it is possible, if it is doable, then then why not, man? You know, it, it's not worked out. I didn't think it was a bad signing at the time. Um, I know there were some people that weren't keen on it, but I don't think anybody could have envisaged it going as badly as it's gone. We have to just take it. We have to just move on. You know, if, if there is an exit plan for Willian, um, then great. You know, let's do it. Uh, it benefits everybody, I think. Um, Daniel Tig, thank you again for your kind super chat donation. But I'm not reading that out, mate. It's you know, I, your the comments are worrying. You've got an unhealthy obsession with Robbie from AFTV. Jesus, um, I think you need to. Uh, I think you need to to address that, mate. But thank you for the super chat. But I'm, I'm not going to spend the whole podcast talking about nonsense comments. So, um, done it twice already, which is already too many. Uh, so I'm not going to continue with that. Uh, Brad says, what did you make of Daniel X statement? He put the offer to Josh Kroenke. Is he the owner? So the way the ownership thing works at Arsenal is this. Because I know I, 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 it might be you, Brad, that's asked this question a couple of times in the last week or so. I've seen it pop up in the chat. So the way the ownership structure works, Arsenal are not owned by Josh Kroenke or Stan Kroenke. Arsenal are owned by KSE which is the company that they are both directors of, which is the company that they both run. Uh, so Josh Kroenke may be responsible for Arsenal's day-to-day and may be responsible for overseeing what happens uh, in North London. But the ownership, the actual ownership from a legal standpoint is held by KSE, which is Kroenke Sports and Entertainment. And that is the company that owns Arsenal and a number of NFL team or, or owns teams in the state, whether it be NFL, baseball, hockey, etc. Um, so that's how it works from a, a legal perspective. Uh, Inter says, do you think the club try and wind up the fans with constantly posting about the past and crap training videos? No, I, look, I think whoever's in charge of social media for the club has a job to do. Their job is to keep content coming, keep engagement up. And that's what they do. It's not, I think a lot of people read into the the social media posts as if they are a lot more loaded and a lot more deliberate than they actually are meant to be. I, I do think that sometimes people misinterpret the way certain posts come across. Um, and I do think that people give them almost too much credit at times as if there's this kind of hidden message in the background um, about it. Not that, that that's not the case for me. You know, a lot of it is to drive up engagement. I've worked in companies where social media has been massive and, and I've I've been in on social media strategy meetings and it is about engagement and it is about keeping people interested. And I think that's just simply what they're trying to do. Um, I don't believe that it is as, as deliberate or as calculated as some people um, will, uh, will make it out. Uh, let's uh, keep going down the chat box. Um, Jan Ostergaard says, is Daniel really Robbie, the big, wonderful man? I wonder. It's a good point. Uh, Inny says, uh, morning, Harry. A few critics to your lineup. Uh, the centre-back pairing seems to be in too much of a flux. And should Odegaard start ahead of Emil Smith-Rowe? He is a low knee. First of all, Inny, thank you for your very kind Super Chat donation, mate. Really, really appreciate that. 
Um, I, I agree with you that the centre-back pairing is a little bit chaotic when those two play together. And I agree with you that it's not our best centre-back pairing. But as I said a little bit earlier on, we need to sort that out. Those two need to simply develop a better understanding because it's a good chance that they'll play a fair portion of next season alongside one another. And so that needs to improve for me massively. Um, so that's why I'd, I'd give it a chance. Uh, and, you know, the more game time they get, hopefully the better it will become, the more they'll improve. With Emil Smith-Rowe, we know what Emil Smith-Rowe is all about. He's got nothing to prove to me. Um, and I'm sure he's got nothing to prove to, to Arsenal fans all over the world. But what I will say is this. First of all, his, his fitness has been a doubt. You know, he's, he's broken down on a number of occasions. I think he has been overworked in recent months. And we're still trying to make a decision on Martin Odegaard. My my mind on Emil Smith-Rowe is, is completely set. I think he's great. I think he's fantastic. I think he can go on to become a really uh, important Arsenal player for many, many seasons to come. But, you know, when it comes to Odegaard, the jury's still out. Is this a player that Arsenal should be looking to sign on a permanent deal this summer? As I said earlier, I was very sure at one stage. Now I'm not so sure. And I think that the more we can see him play albeit in sort of end of season kind of dead rubber games, the better position we will be in to then judge whether or not uh, signing him would be the right move. So that's my view on that, mate. Um, but thank you, of course, as always, for your very kind uh, Super Chat donation and, uh, and and really great comments. Uh, let's go back to the chat. Um, I'm going to pick out one or two uh, more bits here. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, let me pick one out. Um, <laughs> Inter really doesn't like Mikel Arteta in the comments. He's talking about him deliberately winding people up. Jeez. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. Uh, what else? I just saw one that I wanted to pick up on and I can't find it now. Oh, Cypriot Gunas says, what are your thoughts on Tammy Abraham? since he's out of favour with Thomas Tuchel. I've never been a major Tammy Abraham fan. Um, I don't know if I'm being a little bit harsh on him. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not massive on Tammy Abraham. Plus, I don't think that he would be, uh, you know, he would be sold to Arsenal. I, I just can't see that happening. Um, if I'm completely honest, I think he's a good player and I think he, I think actually somewhere like Crystal Palace, our opponents tonight will probably be the perfect place uh, for him. Somewhere where he can play every single week. Um, and I think that's about his level. I think he's just not quite at top level. It's kind of in that tier below. Um, and I think Crystal Palace will, will probably be uh, the, uh, a really good move for, for Tammy Abraham. I'm sure they're going to look to rebuild this summer uh, with uh, Roy Hodgson departing, as I said, and 13 players. Yes, 13 first team squad members out of contract. Let's see what else we've got here. Um, da -da 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 -da. Uh, Xander points out, just going back to that Tammy Abraham thing, that he's Chelsea's top scorer this season, and he is, but you've got to look at where the goals have come. Chelsea's top scorer in the Premier League has been Jorginho from penalties. So none of their strikers have really made a dramatic impact in terms of in the Premier League, and that's the level you've got to be looking at. Sidan says, Harry, if you could sign one Leicester City midfielder, who would it be? Madison, Tielemans or Ndidi? This is a really interesting question. First of all, I'd rule out Madison. I'm not I'm not sure that Madison's type of profile player is, is what we're crying out for here. And I'm not 
I've not been overly impressed with Madison recently uh, when I've seen him play. I think that Ndidi is massive. I think that Ndidi is 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 really important to the Leicester side and him alongside Thomas Partey. I tell you what, that would be uh, a really physically strong and really physically imposing period. I'm not sure if we'd need a bit of an upgrade technically there. I like the idea of Tielemans because I like the fact that Tielemans um, has that technical ability, but also is able to get stuck in, is able to drop that little bit deeper, could probably dictate play from a, a deep position as well as getting forward and contributing with goals and assists and all of that. Tielemans is a bit more of a box-to-box player than Wilfred and Didi, I would argue. Um, and so I would go with Tielemans. I, I really like him and I, I wish Arsenal uh, had uh, had spotted him and got that deal done uh, ahead of Leicester City. But it's a testament, isn't it, again, to Leicester City's really, really uh, good recruitment over the years and how well it's worked. So, yeah. Right. Uh, going to leave it there, I think. Um, going to leave it there because uh gone way over the time as always. But it's always good to have great conversations and to get your questions in the live chat. I love doing that part uh, at the end of the podcast. So thank you all so much for your interaction. Thank you for all your uh, very kind Super Chat donations throughout. Uh, Thank you for smashing that like button. If you haven't done it already, it's your final warning. Hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you're new. And if you wish to become a member uh, in order to get access to our members content as well as the discord server which i still believe is the best benefit you get uh for all the kind of great chat that goes on in there then please do check out the link in the description also check out uh check out manscape.com enter our discount code 19 min 20 for your 20 percent discount as well as free shipping on your order we'll be back very very soon with more there is no live watch along tonight due to the fact that i am covering the game uh, for work so i won't be able to bring you guys the watch along but i will be back after the match uh, to bring you our post match show and i'm very very much looking forward uh, to doing that um so yeah i'll catch you all then until then take care ciao listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.